Good morning. Please uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. Um, if you were here last week, then you know that we're looking at Noah and the flood in a sermon series we've been doing for some time now called I Want. And um, in this series, we're examining some of those areas in our lives. Um, see if you can relate. I know I can. But some of those areas in our lives where what I want and what God wants or God wants for me, they don't always match. Has anyone ever experienced that in their lives at all? Yeah, if you're like me every day, several times a day, yes? And so last week uh, with the story of Noah and the flood, we looked at uh, an I want tendency of mine, uh, maybe yours too, but... I tend to want uh, things to stay the same, and um, even changes that are good for me, I'm wary of. There's an automatic defensive mechanism that comes up and says, whoa, 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 that looks new, that looks scary, that looks unknown, Um, and we tend to shy away uh, from change. But that bumps up against God's desire to bring renewal, uh, even radical transformation, and when those two meet Um, We have a problem, and uh, so we looked last week at uh, that issue in light of Noah and the flood. There's at least one more, probably several more, but one more I want versus what God wants lesson from the story of Noah and the flood, and uh, it's my honor to share that with you this morning. Let me begin uh, by asking you a question. And I'll ask it uh, this way. Do you have any trouble? Do you have any trouble in your life? I kind of borrowed, you know, know, got milk, right? You got milk. Have you got trouble uh, in any part of your life? Probably more than one part, right? I wonder if we pass the mic around uh, if there's anyone here who would say, no, you know, I don't have any trouble in my life, uh, there's trouble in life, isn't there? And do you ever wonder, in the midst of that trouble in your life, do you ever have the thought, you know, where's God in this trouble? Where is he, and maybe, why doesn't he just fix it? He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, omni, omni, omni. Loves us more than we can even imagine. In fact, his love is amazing. There's a song, I think. So where is he in the trouble? And why doesn't he just fix it? One answer to that question, and there are more than one, But one piece, I think, that is a necessary part of the answer to that question, where is God given the trouble I'm having and why hasn't he just fixed it, one answer might be found in the story of Noah and the flood. Your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 6 and I want to begin reading at verse 14. We're jumping right into the story near the beginning where God is telling Noah what he wants Noah to do. 
Genesis 6, verse 14. And so God says, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood and make it an ark with rooms and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then he says, this is how you shall make it. 450 feet long. It's going to take a lot of pitch. 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. And oh yeah, make an opening for daylight in the ark and terminate it, stop that opening within 18 inches of the top. Put the entrance to the ark in its side and make the ark with a bottom, second, and third decks. So that's a piece of what God wanted Noah to do. There are other instructions to Noah that follow in the flood story. Get the animals, get the food, get into the ark. But, but building the ark is the first piece. And after God tells Noah to do all this, God says something that ought to make us sit up and take notice. And I never really caught this here, quite this way in this story, until the past couple of weeks when in my study I happened to pick up and look at uh, the text in Hebrew. Because most English translations, and thank God for this, they try to smooth out kind of the wooden word-for-word Hebrew translation so we can better understand it in smooth English. But there's a Hebrew phrase here that appears next in verse 17. And so God tells Noah, do all this, and then God says to Noah in verse 17, God says this, for my part, I'm about to bring the flood. And what made me sit up and take notice was really those first three words. For my part, God says. And when I read that for the first time, my first reaction was to ask something like, for your part, God, what does that mean exactly, for God's part? I thought, God's omni, omni, omni. He's all-powerful, he's completely sovereign and all the rest. Isn't every part God's part? What does God mean, for, for my part, And out of that came this morning's lesson. Because when God says, for my part, he obviously means, right, that Noah has a part too. In fact, he just told Noah what his part was. Your part, Noah, build this massive ark. Oh. Collect all the animals. Now, God helps send them to Noah, it seems. But collect them all, male and female, and food, and then get in. And we kind of... We kind of rush over the get in the ark thing like Noah couldn't wait to get into that ark. But let's stop and think about that for a minute. You got this big, massive boat you just built. Does he think it's going to float? And you got all those animals crammed in there. And you and your most cherished loved ones, you're supposed to get in there. And then we read later that God shuts the door and the Hebrew there is strong. He seals the door. Now you're in this ark. Don't, that, don't let that take just a little bit of faith from Noah, that command to get in. But both Noah 
and God here have parts. Your part, Noah, build an ark. My part, God says, I'll bring the flood. And in this Noah's part and God's part story, we see, my dear friends, one of the main themes in all the Bible. In fact, we see one of the foundational things, really, that our God is all about and our God desperately wants. And what that is, is this. God wants a partner. God wants a partner, as incredible as that might seem, because the omni-omni-omni God doesn't need a partner Absent his decree that he shall have one, he doesn't need a partner. And yet, he insists on one often. And, newsflash, used to be Muppet Newsflash. Do you remember the Muppets? Dating myself again. Oh, well. And then, go figure, he asks of his partner to do things. And the things he asks his partners to do are hard. They take effort. Often, everything we've got. And oh my goodness, we can see God's desire for this all-out working partner with him in his people from Genesis through Revelation. It is everywhere in the text. He certainly wants to partner with Noah and has this elderly man, 600 years old, qualifies as elderly. Has this elderly man build this ridiculous ark. Does anyone here think that that was easy for Noah to do on any level? God wants to partner with Moses to deliver the people of Egypt, remember? How difficult do you think that was for Moses to go back and to face Pharaoh, to deal with all those people for 40 years, complaining about manna and the rest? Holy Moses, that must have been hard. God wanted to partner with Samson and Deborah and Gideon and all those judges. Do you remember those stories of those judges and how difficult the challenges it was that they faced and what God called from them to do. God partners with Ruth in her decision to stick with her mother-in-law, Naomi, leave her home country and find a new husband in Boaz. And if you remember the story, Boaz needed a little push from Ruth. You read Ruth's story sometimes in the book bearing her name and ask yourself if Ruth had it easy. God partners with David who throws a stone to kill a giant. You think it was easy for that young boy to walk out there on the battlefield in front of everyone and face Goliath? God partners with Elijah and all the prophets for that matter. Name me, name me a single prophet who had it easy and didn't have to work hard and give it all that he or she had in partnership with God. Name one. God partners with Esther and Daniel. God partners with the disciples. He partners with the Apostle Paul. Did the disciples and Paul have it easy? No, they put their lives on the line. And speaking of lives on the line, God partners with Jesus, his son. Would any of us say that Jesus had it easy in life? 
Any one of those folks. So many more in the Bible. Can you name one partner of God in all of Scripture that had an easy time of it partnering with God? Name one. Even one. You see, it's real easy for us. Well, it's real easy for me. So if you're like me, it's easy for you too to idealize the lives of these biblical heroes. And while it's true, they had amazing lives, exemplary lives, lives that stand out as examples to us all, their lives were tough. Their lives were literally on the line in partnering with God. They all had their parts to do just as Noah had his. All of them had their their arcs to build. All because God wants a partner, a working partner. We, on the other hand, fill out the rest of the slide, it seems to me, uh, beginning with me, and please hear me, in a sermon where I feel like I'm pushing sometimes, the first person I'm pushing is me. There's a joke that someone just gave me before the service. I'm going to tell it as uh, maybe being uh, God's timing. I'll shorten it. It goes like this. A pastor is coming up, and he sees a group of boys surrounding a dog. So the pastor goes up, and he's worried. What are you doing to this dog? And the boy said, no, 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 pastor. We're deciding who gets to have the dog. And so we're having a contest. The one of us who tells the greatest lie gets to keep the dog. Well, the pastor is, of course, abhorred by the plan. You don't have a contest to tell lies. Lies are of the devil. You need to be like me. I never tell a lie. You know the rest. Boys looked at each other and said, give him the dog. He went. (laughs) We, on the other hand, it seems, beginning with me, don't we often get stuck on wanting God to do it all himself? That's what I find myself wanting sometimes. How about you? And the problem with that is, well, God insists on a partner. He wants a partner. Pick a page. Pick a story. And what he asks his partners to do isn't easy. Back by popular demand this morning is the great theologian that we've been using to help us illustrate the story of Noah and the flood. If you were here, (laughs) that's why you came, I know. If you were here last week, uh, his name is Bill Cosby. (laughs) Last week we heard Cosby describe just how radical a change God had in store for Noah and for his creation. This week in the audio clip I'll play for you in a minute, Cosby weighs in in a humorous way on how difficult it is at times to partner with God. As you listen, can you relate? Not because you have to literally build a little ark like Noah did, but can you relate to some area of your life where it's hard to partner with God sometimes? Let's listen. 
Of course, Noah had had a heck of a job, really. He, he had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. And uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. So we find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? You gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. Hell, I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this mess here. You let me go out there and do all this stuff here. You never even looked in the bottom of that ark. Have you looked down there? No. Who's gonna clean up that mess down there? That's me, I'll tell you that. I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm letting all these animals out, and then I'm gonna burn down this ark, and I'm going to Florida somewhere, because you haven't done nothing. I'm sick and tired of all this mess you're pulling around, and you haven't done nothing except that you got it raining. It's not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was right. You know, Jesus is the best storyteller I've ever heard or read. Boy, Cosby's on the list for a close second, just as telling a story, isn't he? What an amazing storyteller. And whether intentional or not, I don't know. It's only half kidding when I call him a great theologian. For example, when Cosby has God respond to Noah's request that Noah just change that hippo from male to female? God's response you know I don't work like that. That's right. Not always. God doesn't work like that because God wants a partner. Now, one reason um, it's hard to even talk about the desire of God to partner with us is that before long you run into folks that feel um, when I encourage this sort of partnership that I'm encouraging some sort of works-based salvation or works-based righteousness, that somehow what I'm pushing for is, you know, we got to do more to earn favor with God. And we have to do it completely on our own power. Maybe some of you here this morning uh, were feeling that a, a little. Let me assure you, I am not saying that. This isn't legalism that I'm advocating. Legalism is simply undue emphasis on rules or obedience to rules. And, and that can lead to a feeling that, oh, I'm not good enough and I have to earn something from God on my own power. And often when I, get, uh, when I speak on obedience, I get the defensive reaction, hey, what about grace? Why are you talking about all these works? As if 
obedience and legalism are the same thing. They're not. And besides legalism, the other pushback I'll often get when talking about God wants a partner is people somehow hear me telling them that, okay, if I go all in and partnering with God, all my troubles in life will go away in the timing and in the manner that I expect. That heresy is called health and wealth gospel, although the word gospel meaning good news sticks in my throat. That heresy is called health and wealth false gospel. And I'm not saying that either. Here's what I am saying. I'm saying if we ever wonder where God is in our trouble or why he just doesn't fix it, one reason, or a part of the reason at least, that we're not experiencing more of God's power in our lives, maybe in part at least, it's because we're shying away from going all in in partnering with him. And if you want the biblical basis for me to say such a thing, pick a page, pick a story. All of those examples in the Bible where God acted, yes, in amazing ways, but only when his people partnered with him in extraordinary ways. So if we're struggling, when we're struggling with trouble, one of the things we should ask ourselves is, how active of a partner am I with God? Am I really going all out and partnering with him, putting my life on the line, doing all I can? Am I building the ark that God commanded me to build, no matter how hard that is? Or am I stuck in my relationship with God? Is part of the reason I might be stuck is I'd rather just have God do it all for me. Change those hippos on his own. I'll go get another one. Because God wants a partner. What if Noah hadn't built the ark? Or Moses hadn't gone back to Egypt? Just stayed in the desert with his wife and family and sheep. That had to sound good to Moses. What if Ruth hadn't stuck with Naomi? What if David hadn't trotted out there with a bag of rocks to face a lethal war hero? What if Elijah hadn't challenged the prophets of Baal? What if Esther hadn't said for such a time as this and marched into what should have been her death sentence before the king? What if instead of listening to that advice from her cousin Mordecai, what if instead Esther had said, you know, it's good to be the queen. I think I'm just going to keep my head low and keep my head. What if the apostle Paul had said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this here. I'm done. What if Jesus hadn't said, not my will, Father, but yours, when facing the cross? What do you think any of those folks any of these folks would say if you accused them of legalism. Wow, you Bible people are just so legalistic doing all those things that you don't really have to do because of grace. How do you think they'd respond? What do you think those Bible people would say if you accused them of 
uh, of doing all of that so their comfort and their health and their uh, wealth in life would be in, in a way and a timing uh, that they expected. I mean, seriously. And yet, those people, pick a page, fully aware of God's grace and mercy, fully aware that life partnering with God is hard, they nevertheless put their backs into it. And when they did, just look at the amazing things that God did with them. And so now it's our turn. What if you don't put your life on the line in partnership with God? What if you don't build your ark, face the giant, even stick with your mother-in-law? And I can kid about that because I love mine and I'll stick with you, Mom. What if you don't go back to Egypt or stand between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea with nowhere to go? What if you don't say, not my will, Father, but yours? Or, not what I want, Dad, but what you want. What if you don't say that? What great thing what amazing things would God have done with you as his all-in partner won't happen because you didn't put your life on the line and instead sort of justified not doing that by hiding behind a misconception of grace. And P.S., when we partner with God and go all out, he will go out right with us. And when God goes all out with us, there is nothing that can't be done. Nothing that is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible when we partner with God. And now the health and wealth, a bell is going off of my head. So please hear me. Health and wealth, so-called Bible teachers out there, hear me. When we partner with God, he will do amazing things. But he'll do them whether or not he fixes a particular trouble or pain in our lives. Exactly like, by the way, he did with them. Pick a page. My brothers and sisters, God will do amazing things that he will not do except in partnership with us. Pick a page and is one of the reasons at least that he isn't in a particular area of your life, is one of the reasons he isn't because he is quietly, patiently, eagerly, lovingly, tears running down his face, waiting on you to partner with him to do something yourself, to build your ark. I can't help in our church community here to think of what churches everywhere are dealing with, those two, that two-headed monster of uh, a giving uh, and attendance. Both are down across the country in nearly every church. Have you ever considered this? God gives a giving guideline of 10%. And the latest statistics are that Christians are giving an average of 3%. 
And only 5% of Christians, in fact, give 10% or more. And the church wrings her hands, wondering why uh, she isn't more effective in impacting the culture and impacting the world and helping hurting people. Where is God? And why doesn't he just fix it? Well, could it be because God is quietly, patiently, eagerly, lovingly, with tears on his face, imploring us, waiting on the church to partner with him to the extent he has instructed How much do you give? Is God waiting on your gift in partnership with him to do something amazing with you because he wants a partner? Eight out of every ten people who do not go to church would go if someone invited them. Eight out of every ten, according to Barna, who do not go to church, would go if someone invited them. Being invited, personally invited to church, far and away the number one reason for church growth, quantitative numbers growth. Nothing else is even close. Who the pastor or preacher is, in fact, near the bottom of the list. What goes on in music or ministry at the church pales in comparison. Oh, those are important. We should do all we can. But number one, far and away, is when someone personally invites them to come. So eight out of every 10 people who do not go to church would go if someone invited them. But then get this, eight out of 10 people who do go to church never invite anyone who doesn't. And the church wrings her hands. Wondering, why aren't more people coming? Where is God and why doesn't he just fix it? Could it be because God is quietly, patiently, eagerly, compassionately, lovingly with tears running down his face, waiting on the church to partner with him? Have you invited someone to church this year who doesn't go to church? And if not, is God waiting on you to partner with him in that way in order for him to do something even more amazing? Because God wants a partner. I want God to do it all himself sometimes. God wants a partner Will you partner with God and build the ark that he wants you to build in whatever area of your life? Pick a relationship that needs more of you. Pick a sin struggle that needs more of you. Pick an area of trouble in your life, whatever it is. Could it be that God's power isn't showing up there in the same way it seems to be, it clearly is showing up in this text. Pick a page, pick a story. Because we're not all in like these folks were. And P.S., and then I'll end. It's my second P.S., isn't it? P.P.S. My friends, 
when you step in and partner with our omni, omni, omni God who dearly loves you, and by the way, he wants to partner with you not because he's a dictator and enjoys seeing a squirm, but because he delights in partnering with us, loves doing it together with us. Not because we have to earn anything, but because as our Heavenly Father, because as our beloved in the Song of Songs, just like a married couple, it's very nearly a one-fleshness with our God and the relationship we have with Him. He wants to be with His bride. Of course He does. And when we step out in partnership with Him, put our lives on the line. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but you know what's at the end? At the end, through the rain, is a rainbow. Theologically, the rainbow signifies the covenant that I'm making with you. Covenant's one of those Bible words. You want another word for covenant? The rainbow is a symbol of our relationship. A relationship, that's a partnership. Every time you see a rainbow... If you remember one thing, maybe from this whole service, every time you see a rainbow, and boy, we have beautiful ones out here, don't we? I want you to think, ah, there's a symbol of my partnership with God. Am I partnering with him today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know when we talk about doing and action and works and obedience. Um, there's something in us that gets a little nervous. There's something in us that feels like um, we've left your great message of grace. Would you help us to see, Father, that those two work hand in glove and that it's because of grace and love that you so deeply want to desire and partner with us that you want all our heart, all our soul, all our might, and you want us to love others as ourselves because of your great love and grace, not in opposition to it. Help us, Father, to crack through a cultural message that life is supposed to be some sort of vacation or that things are supposed to come easy now that we're partnering with you. And help us to see, Father, that no matter how hard it is, there is no better life, that our best life yet is partnering with you through the trouble, through the pain, and through the rain. And Father, I'd ask that you continue to keep your promise, which I know you've never broken once at any time in history with anyone, that despite the trouble or pain or challenges or difficulty, when we step into it, you step with us. You protect us, you guide us, you give us strength for the next step, never forcing it. You give us the ability, even with great challenges, to live with joy and to thrive and to love. Oh, Father, help us take that step in partnership with you, just as Noah did and just as all of those folks that we read about in your scriptures did. And in our turn, Father, 
oh, what a day it will be that when we do that, we can step back and look at the amazing things you did because we partnered with you all the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? If you could face me, if you can, you can actually turn in church and look at one another. So not just to face me, but face each other. And here again, the priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, his shalom. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.